<clears throat> Thanks uh, all you parents that helped your kids with those memory verses. That was a blessing, wasn't it? And uh, Vicki, just great job for you and the team that was working with them, and uh, that, that was a treat. So it's a good morning. My name is Steve Fleshman. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I've been tasked to uh, help us prepare our minds and, uh, and our uh, hearts for the Lord's Supper. These are uh, symbols of the Lord's uh, shed blood and His broken body. And so if you will turn with me in your Bibles, uh, these verses are not going to be on the screen. So if you would turn to Isaiah chapter 53, we're going to look at uh, Isaiah 53 this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you uh, under the chair in front of you at, and go to page 994. So 994, if you have one of our pew Bibles uh, or Isaiah 53, uh, I'll just give you a little introduction to Isaiah 53. It's been called a miniature Bible. There's 66 chapters uh, in the book of Isaiah, and uh, we know there's 66 books in our Bible. Isaiah is uh, the first of the major prophets. We, we kind of divide the books up into major and minor prophets. It's the first of the major prophets. And 20 of our 27 New Testament books have a quote or a reference from Isaiah in them, 20 out of the 27, and uh, it's quoted nearly 80 times in the New Testament, Isaiah is, and about 20 times his na- he, Isaiah is mentioned by name, and we'll see at least one of those uh, today as we uh, look at Isaiah 53. And uh, most of us have at least heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And really, the greatest of the findings of the Dead Sea Scrolls was, uh, I think there was 21 copies of Isaiah, uh, at least partial copies, but there was one complete copy, and it's in a museum now. And uh, it, it, uh, is, the, the significant thing was, it's uh, over a thousand years older than any extant copies we had, and yet... It uh, is word for word like we have in our Bibles, uh, except for a few grammatical, grammatical errors. And so uh, it's interesting to note that Jesus Christ himself, as he began his earthly ministry, he quoted from Isaiah 61, and he, uh, that's found in Luke chapter 4. And uh, <clears throat> Isaiah 53 has been called the richest chapter in the Old Testament, and Martin Luther said that every Christian should memorize it. Uh, and many of the words we're going to read in Isaiah 53 are found in our New Testament. And yet, some synagogues forbid Isaiah 53 to be writ, uh, to read. And it has also been called the torture chamber of some of the rabbis uh, because it is almost without dispute a uh, prophecy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So my challenge to you this morning as we uh, read Isaiah 53, whenever you see the word uh, our or we, I want you to think about yourself. Uh, I guess that's not a plural, but think about me and you. Whenever you read our or we in Isaiah 53, and when you see him or uh, his, think about Jesus Christ. So let's uh, do that as we study this morning. And uh, back up just a couple of verses, look at Isaiah 52, and we're going to read, uh, starting with verse 13 of Isaiah 52, and we're going to read through the end of that chapter, and then we'll have just a word of prayer. So Isaiah 52, 
verse 13 says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonied at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations, and the kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that he had not been told them, uh, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Let's, uh, let's pray as we uh, look at this this morning. Heavenly Father, we do bow our heads and hearts, and Lord, we, uh, in a few moments, we'll be partaking of these uh, emblems, the, the Lord's Supper that you uh, designated some 2,000 years ago with your disciples in the upper room. And uh, Lord, um, may you perfect our hearts that are imperfect. May you <clears throat> put forth the pure words out of uh, my impure lips. May you uh, speak to hearts this morning. May today just be a landmark day in each of our lives that we uh, can leave here and say that we've heard from you. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you noticed in verse 13, but that was uh, the Bible calls, he speaks of my servant, and that's the title that I've given my lesson this morning, Messiah, the suffering servant, and we'll see here in just a little bit that he did suffer, and the Bible uses uh, this word servant here, and we're going to go through all 12 verses here of chapter 53, and I'm going to read each verse as we uh, and then we'll, and then we'll talk about each one. Verse one of fifty three: Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? <clears throat> and this verse is quoted uh, almost word for word in John twelve thirty eight. We find in John twelve thirty eight that the saying of Isaiah, or that that's Isaiah the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord. Who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? <clears throat> and it says almost the same thing, but I want you to see this, this uh, different word in Romans 10. In Romans 10, verse 16, it uses a separate word here. It says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For he saith, saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So not only is the prophet and the prophets speaking about this report, or this gospel. But I, I said earlier, when we see the word our, I want you to think about this. Who hath believed our report, my report, your report? <clears throat> the word uh, report uh, is also translated news. And uh, th- this is very interesting. In Proverbs twenty-five twenty-five, the Bible says, As cold waters to a thirsty soul... So is good news from a far country. That that word news is the same word as report in Isaiah, that the Hebrew word for news is report. So I just thought that was so interesting. And then think about the last of verse 1. It says, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And God's people, if you're a saved, born-again child of God here today, God has revealed himself to you in the person of Jesus Christ. And I want you to think now how... uh, Israel might hear this when they when they read this. There, there's a verse in Deuteronomy 26, and I really had to 
pick and choose because this is several times in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 26, verse 8 and 9 says, And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terribleness and with signs and with wonders. And he hath brought us into this place and hath given us this land, even a land that floweth with milk and honey. And if you were here the last few weeks, Brian has started a a sermon series on uh, coming out of Egypt and how they were delivered. And the Bible says here that God brought them out with his stretched forth hand. And and so this first section, I, I labeled these first three verses just the revealed servant. And God's people, uh, God has revealed himself to his people through his servant by the report of this good news and that strong arm that you and I have been brought out of Egypt and saved from bondage through Jesus Christ. Amen? And look at verse 2 with me now. We're going to go through each of these verses here. In verse 2 it says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And this reference to him growing up uh, could represent Christ's childhood, that he grew up as a carpenter's son. It says he was uh, like a root out of dry ground. Uh, the nation of Israel had been in uh, Babylonian captivity, and they were back in the land, but they were under Roman rule. And so this uh, Messiah was coming out out of somewhat of dry ground, out of uh, <clears throat> dry soil that had, had, didn't have, uh, wasn't very fruitful. And uh, Isaiah 11 uh, prophesies him about Christ as being a root uh, uh, stem out of Jesse. It says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. <clears throat> and in, in Revelation 22, uh, we know Jesse is the father of King David. And here in Revelation 22, he, he talks about him being the root and offspring of David. It says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And this week, uh, uh, I don't think I just normally read my Bible like I usually do. I've I've listened to like four sermons on Isaiah 53, and I'm reading Isaiah 53 and looking at commentaries and... uh, but one of the one of the either commentary or thing I heard was just that uh, a root out of dry ground you might stumble on it, and I just thought that was interesting. And um, you'll think this is funny, but when I was a kid, we we raised hogs, and uh, there was a tree out in the field, and these hogs just rooted around the tree to where the the roots were exposed from the ground. I don't know if you've ever seen a tree roots, but the hogs had wallowed around it and. There was actually a root sticking up, and as a kid, I was jumping on this root and trying to break it, and and uh, I even uh, I picked up the biggest rock I could. I, I'm trying to break this root, and wouldn't you know it, it hit the root, and it hit me in the head. <laughs> and so I walked back up to the house. It's about a quarter mile. I got blood coming down my, my face. I ended up getting two or three stitches in my head. But So this root that we look at is the root of Jesse, 
this uh, great thing can be a stumbling block for others. It can harm them. And, uh, <clears throat> and so that's uh, why it goes on to say, uh, He hath no form or comeliness, and when we shall see Him, there's no beauty that we should desire Him. And I was telling our group on uh, Friday night that, uh, <clears throat> that uh, just to think about the tabernacle a little bit, you know, the tabernacle was just so ornate inside and the gold furnishings and the, the, wooden, the woodwork that was overlaid with gold and the sockets of the boards, they set in the silver and, you know, they, they made the cherubims and the Ark of the Covenant and just gold this and the fine linen. But, you know, they, they, they covered it with uh, goat's hair, with uh, ram skin dyed red and, and badger skin over it. I mean, it, it was not attractive to look at, but it was what was inside, right? And I, I look at this like that, that, you know, Christ didn't have the halo as He walked around. He didn't have, you know, the Air Jordan sandals. He didn't have the, the three-piece robe, right? Um, I looked at a... I, I, I connect with an African pastor, and he sent me a video this morning, and him and his pastor friend, they're riding in the back of a pickup with a suit and tie on, and he's like, we're going to the bush to witness to people today. And I just thought that was so cool. He's riding in the back of this truck on the plains of Africa, and uh, how, how beautiful that, that is. But uh, our Lord was so, he was God in the flesh, right? He was, he was not uh, superior in looks to others. He was the average guy. That's why the common people Heard him gladly. And uh, my teaching point here <coughs> is that uh, the reason the Jews missed their Messiah is because they were expecting a reigning king, not a suffering servant. And uh, if you have, I think we had that in your bulletin, uh, some blanks to fill in if you want to fill those in. And uh, I just thought that that is just really interesting because they were in under Roman rule, and they're waiting for their Messiah. They want this king to come and, and ser- save them from their enemies. And, and yet he was, came as a suffering servant, and he was not head and shoulders above the rest. And he uh, was not uh, specifically attractive to look at, but he was God in the flesh. And verse 3 of our text says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. I thought it it was interesting in this passage, in in verse 3, it says he is despised. And at the end of that, he says he was despised. And so... uh, you know, we, we look at this as being prophetical, but it says he was this. He, so if you can think of you and I looking back in time, he was despised, and still today he is despised. And he doesn't uh, come across as being attractive to some, but he is to us. And the Bible says that we as Christians have this treasure in earthen vessels, and we may not look... Uh, attractive to others, but we have something very attractive that others need and should desire. Amen? And so this next section is about the suffering servant. In verse 4, we read, 
Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. <clears throat> and this, uh, right now in my, in my daily reading, I'm, I'm reading uh, through Leviticus, and if, if people did not bring the right offering to the Lord, it says that they bear their iniquity. And I bet 10 times in the book of Leviticus, it says that that person bears their own iniquity. But here the Bible says, Jesus, he hath borne our griefs. And so it's like we have griefs and we have sorrow, but he carried them forth. He bore them and uh, he is the right sacrifice for us. We, we, it says, esteemed him stricken, smitten. We thought he was justifiably uh, tortured and treated badly and crucified and smitten. That's what we thought. <clears throat> we thought that God, he was uh, smitten of God, but, but he wasn't. He, he, he bore that for us. Verse 5, it says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastise of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. <clears throat> the wounding has to do with the piercing of his hands and his feet. The bruising has to do with the scourging, the cutting of the thorns of the crown he wore. Uh, the Bible talks about him being beat, beaten. He was buffeted. They, they put a covering over his eyes and they buffeted him with the palms of their hands. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Now, chastising, uh, if you think about this, uh, you think of discipline or being punished, but chastising has the purpose of making you pure. Uh, You've probably heard of like a chastity belt. That's to make someone pure. To chasten is to make pure. And his, his chastisement was for the purpose of making you and I pure. And uh, Royal's here today. He, he taught me a saying that in recovery, we say the world has wounds. They need to see our scars. And I'm going to have us turn to, uh, I think that's on the screen, John 20. This is where Thomas uh, got to see the risen Savior. And here the Bible says in John 20, there's three verses here in 26 through 29. <clears throat> because when Thomas saw Jesus' healed hands and feet, that, that's what a scar is. A scar is a healed wound, right? So when, when, when Thomas saw the healed wounds, this is what he said. It says, And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach forth, nope, reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me and thou hast believed, blessed are they that have not seen and yet believed, yet have believed. 
Jesus' wounds were healed. They're scars now. And uh, there's a song popular on the radio right now. The only scars in heaven are the scars of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But he was wounded. They were fresh wounds. They were bloody wounds. And that's what this uh, cup represents this morning. Verse 6, back in Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. This has to do with our sin nature. We, we, we are like sheep by nature. And I want you to think about this. I've got five points about sheep. <clears throat> These are some characteristics of sheep. Uh, we, we, we did not raise sheep, but, but our neighbors did. And I've talked to them about uh, some of these. Uh, sheep take lots of care. You and I are high maintenance, aren't we? <laughs> they take a lot, we take a lot of care. They need a shepherd willing to lay down his life for them. Sheep have no natural protection. They're weak, they're slow, they're soft-skinned, they're defenseless. You and I, as tough or strong or smart as we are, in many ways we are weak, slow, soft-skinned, and defenseless. Sheep have no sense of danger. They go in harm's way and they have a small will to live. And you and I often uh, go places and do things that put us in harm's way. Sheep are dependent. You know, we, we like to think we're independent, but sheep are dependent. They lack direction. They have a need to be led. They have a need to be around other sheep. Uh, I know one time at the county fair, some sheep got out. And we're, a bunch of us are trying to help get these sheep back in this pen. And, you know, one goes and they all go. It's just, it was just a little bit of a circus. But uh, sheep cannot clean themselves. Hmm. Sheep have been known to get so muddy that they could not support their own weight and they lied down and died in their filth. And that's the one thing I talked to our neighbor about. He had a sheep that got stuck under a log and he just got all this clay mud in his fur and they couldn't shear him, they couldn't clean it off and he just ended up dying because he was muddy. So this word iniquity, iniquity has to do with our own depravity. We sin by choice, sure, but we are also sinners by nature. And I had a blank here for you that the Lord hath laid on him, Christ, the iniquity of us all. Do you know this verse 6, it starts and ends with the word all. All we like sheep and the iniquity of us all. This is probably the meatiest portion of this whole chapter, and uh, I'll bring up a verse here in a little bit, but Christ became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And uh, we'll look at that verse here in just a little bit, but the sin of all mankind was focused on our Lord and Savior while He was on the cross for about six hours, and really the first three hours I feel like was for the other thief on the cross that did repent and came to him on the cross. So really, for three hours on the cross, when the sky went dark, man's sin, uh, all past, present, future sins, are. I was thinking about this even this week, that even the sins that we think about, that we, we, didn't, that we don't actually do, uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 24, 
that the thought of foolishness is sin and the scorner is an abomination to men. <clears throat> so even our thoughts can be sinful, not, only, not just our actions. So we, we need uh, the Lord's forgiveness. <clears throat> My teaching point here <clears throat> is just that Jesus' crucifixion was excruciating. And uh, the, the, the cool part about that, this word excruciating is actually uh, derived from the word crucifixion. The, the, if, you, if you do some uh, what they call etymology, the English word excruciating comes from this Latin word uh, meaning to crucify or to torture, and it literally means out of the cross or crucifixion. And so I don't know if you've ever been in excruciating pain, uh, probably not quite like this. Uh, my dad has had some uh, knee trouble lately, and I've never seen anyone in as much pain as I and for really almost a month straight, and they, they, they finally got him some morphine. And, but to see someone just writhing in agony and uh, just, you know, gritting their teeth. And so uh, Christ's crucifixion was excruciating. And he did it for you and I. Now look at verse 7 with me. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed... The, this section has to do with his, uh, his legal, I put, this section is called the condemned servant. He says he was oppressed, so he had oppressors that were, he had rulers that were oppressing him, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. <clears throat> And uh, Matthew 27, I'll read just a couple of verses here. This, this, again, is a prophecy of Christ at his trial before Pilate. It says, And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. <clears throat> Do you know that uh, Jesus did not actually speak until, uh, I think it was Pilate that said that, I adjure thee by the living God to speak or something, and, and, and that prompted, so Jesus did speak, but it was when he said by the living God, because Christ was and is God. And he was this lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep, uh, that was dumb before her shears. This, this is interesting. It mentions the word her right here. We, we believe this to be a prophecy of Christ, and yet it talks about her shears. And uh, what I believe that to mean is that Christ was submissive to God the Father, and, uh, and, and that's, why, that's why wisdom is called her, and instruction is called her, and the Bible says, let patience have her perfect work. These are all things that are subject to God. And even in uh, Genesis chapter 8, uh, when Moses, or Moses, when Noah let the dove out of the ark, it said that she found no place for her foot. And a dove is a type of the Holy Spirit. So there is a couple references where the Holy Spirit's like uh, a female, and a place here where Christ has a, uh, 
female uh, pronoun used of him. <clears throat> and um, this is an a interesting thing. Uh, New Zealand is popular uh, for sheep. I, I, I heard that there's like 70,000 sheep in New Zealand. And it says when they take them to slaughter, they, they have one sheep lead the others. And it's called the Judas sheep. And uh, so, so even in countries where they have uh, shepherds like that, they use what they call a, sh- a Judas sheep to lead the others to the slaughter. And we know that uh, Judas Iscariot betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And uh, so all this is just so powerful as we uh, read this description here of our Lord. Look at verse 8 with me now. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And again, this has to do with the the legal. He was taken from prison to judgment. And uh, when we were in Israel, uh, you've probably heard, I know there's songs about this, the Viva Della Rosa, like the stages of the cross and they have little stops along the town in Jerusalem and there, there's little placards, you know, this is station such and such and this is where Christ uh, spoke to the widows and as he's carrying the cross. And so the, these are like stations. He was brought from prison, taken to the place of judgment. And it says, who shall declare his generation? That, that, that is an admonition for you and I. Who? Who, who will declare his generation? Who is going to speak this report, who is going to tell this good news to others? Uh, will it be you? Will it be I? We need to tell this to others. We need to declare it. It says, for he was cut off out of the land of the living. And uh, in the book of Leviticus, again, people who bore their iniquity, they were cut off from their people. And so just uh, the Jews would really uh, identify with this about bearing one another's burdens, about uh, being cut off for their iniquity. But I want to show you uh, that, that w- that's what goes in your next blank. He was cut off out of the land of living. It means he died. But in Daniel chapter 9, he uses this same word of the Messiah. <clears throat> and th- this is, I believe, the only time in our English Bible where m- the word Messiah is used. <clears throat> Daniel 9.25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. There's that same phrase, cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with the flood and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And uh, some of you have probably uh, heard this. There's a guy named Sir Robert Anderson. He uh, was an English man, but he calculated that from the time Artaxerxes he uh, sent Jeremiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It was uh, 445 B.C. 
until Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem was exactly 200 or I'm sorry 483 years in other words 7 years short of 490 years leaving one week or a 7 year tribulation yet to come and this is when Messiah was cut off he was cut off <clears throat> the week after Palm Sunday there uh on Passover <clears throat> and so all this is very prophetical he was cut off and it was exactly uh, to the day uh, Sir Robert Anderson I bought his book, and I looked that up just so I could see that myself, and I think it's called The Coming Prince, uh, Sir Robert Anderson. And then verse 8, back, uh, or no, I have another cross-reference here uh, in Acts chapter 8, and so if you can hold your place there, this is uh, very important for us in Acts 8. This is where Philip speaks to the Ethiopian eunuch, and I'm going to read uh, about nine verses here in Acts 8.26, if you want to follow that with me, because it connects with Isaiah 53. Acts 8.26, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her, tre- who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet, that, that's Isaiah the prophet, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah, and said, Understand thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And I'll pause right there. uh, This is a great reason for discipleship right here. You and I have trouble understanding the Word of God. We, we need some man to guide me. You need some uh, person to guide you. And it's, we know it's through the Word of God, it's through the Holy Spirit as our guide, but we need some person to explain it to us. We need to be discipled. It says, And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Verse 32, The place of the Scripture which he read was this, here it is. He was led as a sheep in the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so he opened, so opened he not his mouth. And in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom? Speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? And verse 35 says, And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And so our New Testament directly connects Isaiah 53 with the gospel, with Jesus Christ as being prophesied 
this lamb that was done before his shears, and he opened not his mouth. And, and the Ethiopian eunuch scratched his head, you know, is the prophet talking about himself or some other? And Philip plainly says, this is Jesus Christ. And now go back to Isaiah 53 and verse 9. The Bible says, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. And so... The Romans crucified our Lord like a, like a common uh, criminal. They wanted to bury him with the wicked, and yet he was buried with the rich. And in Matthew 27, it speaks of Joseph of Arimathea being a rich man who asked that Christ's body be placed in his own tomb. <clears throat> Matthew 27, 57. When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And so uh, Christ was going to be placed with the wicked, and yet he got a rich man's tomb. And it says here, back in verse 9, that, no violence, there was neither deceit in his mouth. And that's uh, what First Peter tells us. Uh, I, don't know if I didn't give you a good reference on that. Is it? I'll just read it to you. It says, then, uh, the Bible says about Christ, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed, or we were healed. <clears throat> and so uh, Peter uh, agrees with Isaiah 53 that this was about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and my teaching point here is that Philip preached Jesus to the eunuch, uh, from this passage, and uh, so can we. I actually, uh, uh, I went to uh, <clears throat> Russia on a mission trip. I was there on 9-11, and, uh, and I was able to uh, bring home a Russian Bible to a lady that I worked with who was a, a Russian Jew. And uh, I, I heard people say, you know, you should uh, tell the Jewish people to read Isaiah 53, and it would be a good introduction to uh, to the gospel, and so I brought her a Bible from Moscow, printed in Russian, and I I was able to take it to her house, and uh, you know she thanked me, and we were talking about the Jewish people, and and I began to talk about Isaiah fifty three, and uh, the lady asked me to leave her house. She she was offended uh, to speak of Christ from Isaiah fifty three, <clears throat> and so uh, I had just a little bit of experience there, and. Uh, so I politely left, but uh, nevertheless, this is where we can preach Jesus to the Jewish people from Isaiah 53. But these last three verses, <clears throat> Isaiah 53, verse 10, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make 
his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. This is kind of a a wild statement here because uh, it says he shall see his seed. Well, he just died in in the verse before it. Uh, So this is... uh, uh, communicating that uh, he will it'll be a prophecy of his resurrection. Christ shall rise again. <clears throat> in 1 John chapter 2, uh, it even sounds like it, it's a strange thing that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And the thing that was pleasing to the Lord is that it brought about our redemption. That's what was pleasing to the Lord. Not that Christ had to be punished. But in 1 John 2, 2, it says, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And uh, <clears throat> so the, uh, propitiation means the act of appeasing wrath. So God's wrath was satisfied and pleased by Christ's sacrifice. And uh, <clears throat> this makes the offended person now can be in a right relationship through uh, Christ's sacrifice. Verse Uh, and I think I gave you a blank there, he shall see his seed. That's a prophecy of the resurrection. And I think about Colossians 1, Christ being raised from the dead, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Christ rose from the dead, amen? And he is alive today in his... uh, Sacrificial offering was for our sin, and his resurrection is that we might have new life. Verse uh, 11 here says, He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. There's that statement again. 1 Timothy 2 The Bible says, who will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth? It says, his knowledge, uh, we shall be justified. Uh, And even in 1 John 5, 13, I used to think this was kind of an arrogant statement that you can know that you're saved, but that's what the Bible says in 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And you can know that you have eternal life, but why in verse verse 11 does it say, that many shall be justified? In verse 6, it says that he bore the sin of, of all. You see that, the difference of all and many? Well, well, the answer is, not everyone received him, but th- th- this is why Christ doesn't have limited atonement. He died for all. All we like sheep have gone astray, and he, God laid on him the iniquity of us all, but only many receive that, right? Not everyone receives that. There's a story, this is a, told to be a true story. I think it was Queen Victoria. She, uh, she came to Parliament one day, and uh, uh, I think she was a born-again believer, Queen Victoria, and she, she tells Parliament, the English Parliament, uh, I am thankful to God today for the letter M. 
you're like, why would you be thankful for the letter M? And, and she read to them this verse, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. And she said, friends, without the letter M, not any noble would be saved. She was a noble. And she looked at that verse, she said, without the letter M, not any noble would be saved or called. And then in verse 12... <clears throat> And then we'll be finished. Therefore, uh, Isaiah 53, 12, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. This is a prophecy that Christ would be crucified between two thieves. He was numbered with them. One, two, three. There's three transgressors up there. He was numbered with them. The Bible says here that he poured out his soul. <clears throat> and I'll have us look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 now. But verse 10, 11, and 12 all mention his soul. He poured out his soul. His soul. <clears throat> it says in verse 4 and 6 also... Uh, but in verse 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He was the righteous servant. He was righteous. We are unrighteous. He was just. We are unjust. He is holy. We are unholy. And he, God put on him the sin of us all, and he died for us in our place. And so not only... Uh, <clears throat> was he took sin on him, <clears throat> but uh, that, that's why the Bible says that, uh, he says, my, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Bible says in Habakkuk that God is of two pure eyes to look upon iniquity, and God put all iniquity on Christ, and God had to turn his back, and that's when the sky went dark, and uh, the sun was blotted out, and all sin was concentrated, like we would concentrate uh, light from a microscope to maybe burn something. God was concentrating all of sin on Christ and that darkness, and He poured out His soul, and He became sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Is that that's amazing? It's so rich, so powerful, and it says here, verse twelve, that He made. This is actually the first mention of the word intercession. He made intercession for the transgressors. In Romans 3, or 8.34, the Bible says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. <clears throat> Hebrews 7.25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. My teaching point here is simple. <coughs> Jesus is still making intercession for transgressors. He ever liveth to make intercession. He is the go-between. That's what an intercessor is. 
you probably drove on an interstate to get here this morning. The interstate goes between Missouri and Arkansas. It goes between Missouri and Iowa. It's an interstate. It goes between, and Christ is our intercessor. In John 14, 6, the Bible says, this is the last verse, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let's uh, stand to our feet. We'll have just a time of prayer before we take the Lord's Supper. Christ became sin for us. He took our place. Uh, One guy I was listening to said he became one with sin. And he identified himself uh, with sin on our behalf. Will you identify yourself with him? That's what we're doing in taking the Lord's Supper today. We are looking at his shed blood and his broken body Uh, We read that he was so marred more than any man, his visage, he was unrecognizable. That's his broken, even though he had no broken bones, he had broken flesh. It was cut and torn. And so let's, uh, I'll just let Brian uh, dismiss us here as we stand and just bow our heads in a moment of prayer. what we've heard uh, this this morning